Welcome to another edition of Mind of a Madman, coming to you from the all-new STS Studios One. Um, so this week we're going to do like we normally do, you know, check out some news, and then we're going to get into, uh, this week we're going to talk about a gentleman named uh, Edgar Mitchell. Um, if you don't know who Edgar Mitchell was, uh, he was one of the few men who actually set foot on the moon. Um, he has some, he, you know, had some things to tell us during his life, so... We're going to look at uh, those things, and uh, it's actually uh, pretty interesting, some of the things that you'll, uh, some of the things that I hear to say about space and the moon. And So let's first start with our news. Our first story is entitled, Bloated Alien Creature That Washed Ashore in Australia is Possibly Identified. A weirdly bloated creature whose head had been defleshed and body looks more like a swollen, discolored beast of myth than anything real, uh, washed up on an Australian beach last week. And although it's anybody's guess, the identity, the stranded, cor- the sta- the stranded corpse, experts contacted by live science have some ideas. So this thing washed up on, on a shore in Australia, and uh, so they think, so, you know, as we're going to see, they think that they might know what it is. Um, Alex Tan of Queensland, Australia, was taking a stroll on Maruchador Beach when he made a startling discovery. Speaking into his phone camera at the time on April 1st, he said, as he shared on Instagram, I've stumbled across something weird. This is like one of those things you see where people claim they found aliens. The camera then quickly pans away from Tan's face to reveal the bald, bloated creature with claws and a long and exposed skull. In the video's comments, users speculate that the creature could be anything from a possum, which is what this uh, gentleman believes it might actually be, to a dehydrated kangaroo, and of course an alien. Wilder guesses on social media. Wilder guesses on social media include a mini chupacabra or an extinct marsupial. Despite having some, or despite having mentioned aliens in the original video post on his Instagram, he doesn't believe that the creature is, an extra, is of extraterrestrial origin. Uh, he still thinks it's a possum. Uh, my bet of a chicken parmy for any expert that can prove me wrong still stands. So basically he's saying that if anybody can prove that it's not a possum, that you know, he'll, he'll buy them a chicken parmesan sandwich. That must be something in Australia. I don't know. Uh... So it goes on to say here that um, <clears throat> let's see here. I'm gonna try cutting a lot of the fat out of this article. Um, Russell Bickett, Russell Bicknell, a marine biologist at the University of New England in Australia, told Life Science that he thinks it's either a kangaroo or a wallaby. Whatever it is, he said it's very waterlogged, likely having been washed out to sea during a recent flooding during recent flooding in the area. I'd say it's a bushtail. I'd say it's a bushtail, brushtail possum, and has lost all of its fur. Uh, says Sandy Ingsley, a mammal, a mam, mammalologist collection manager at the Australian Museum. Um, he suggests that the skull certainly matches that of the bushtail, as well as the proportions of the limbs and its tail to the body. However, this is neither first nor the last time an unidentified or bizarre-looking creature is washed up ashore. In 2013, a 30-foot-long squid 
giant squid washed up on a Spanish beach, while in 2020 an even larger one appeared in South Africa. Marine biologists identified the creatures as Archothelithdux, the largest marine invertebrate on the planet. In May 2021, an uh, inky black fish with gnarly teeth and an appendage protruding from its head appeared on a beach in California. The mammal was later identified as a Pacific football fish. And in 2015, a 15-foot-long decomposing sea monster washed ashore in Maine was later identified as a basking shark. In all cases, the unidentified monster was always identified. It seems to be seen that Tan's discovery is, but all evidence points to not alien, despite how bizarre the creature might look. This kind of puts me in the mind of the uh, Montauk monster that washed up on the, on the shores of uh, Montauk, New York. Um, you know, in case you haven't heard, I mean, this thing's been talked about over and over and over and over on all kinds of podcasts and shows and on specials on TV. If you don't know what this is, uh, you know, Google it or uh, maybe we'll even do an episode on it coming up here in the future. Um, it'll be a while till we get to it, but definitely something that you know, I might look, look into doing. Um, our next, um, article is entitled UFOs left radiation burns and unaccounted for pregnancies, a new Pentagon report claims. 1500 pages of UFO related research was just declassified as part of a Freedom of Information Act request. Encounters with UFOs have reportedly left Americans suffering from radiation burns, brain and nervous system damage, and even unaccounted for pregnancy, according to a massive database of U.S. government reports recently made public through a Freedom of Information Act request. The database of documents includes more than 1,500 pages of UFO-related materials from the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, also known as ATIP, a secret U.S. Department of Defense program that ran from 2007 to 2012, Despite never being classified as top secret or top secret, the ATIP only became known to the public in 2017 when former Pentagon Director Luis Elizondo resigned from the Pentagon and released several now infamous videos of an unidentified craft moving and seeing impossible ways to the media. According to The Sun, the cache of documents includes reports of the biological effects of UFO sightings on humans. Studies on advanced technologies such as invisibility cloaks and plans for deep space exploration and colonization. Some portions of the document were withheld in part for privacy and confidentiality concerns, the ATIP told some. One standout document from this collection is a report titled Anomalous Acute and Subacute Field Effects on Humans and Biological Tissues, dated on March 2010. The report describes alleged injuries to human observers by anomalous advanced aerospace systems, some of which may be a threat to U.S. Security, to U.S. interests, including, according to the document. The report includes 42 cases from medical files and 300 unpublished cases where humans sustained in injuries after allegedly, or after alleged encounters with anomalous vehicles which include UFOs, in some cases humans showed burn injuries or other conditions related to electromagnetic radiation, some of them appearing to have been inflicted by energy-related propulsion systems, 
The report also noted uh, cases of brain damage, nerve damage, heart palpitations, and headaches related to anomalous vehicle encounters. It's unclear what kind of vetting process, if any, of the ATIP used to investigate these alleged cases. Uh, it is yet to, um, the Sun is yet to share the full context of the request report, so they must have been the one who filed this. So it just shows that, you know, what <clears throat> what we got released to us uh, last year, with the last summer with the whole Freedom of Information Act that was included in the one COVID uh, relief bill, uh, this right here proves that, that you know, ATIP and the, and, and the Pentagon did not release everything. There's probably vaults, libraries full of this information that we get to see, videos and all kinds of reports and documents. And I think it's like, like I said before, I think this is part of disclosure. I think that disclosure is coming. It's just, it's not going to be like one big giant, you know, drop of a hat. Everything's out at once. I think it's going to continue to be these like little bits and pieces. We're going to have to keep grabbing and putting it together and, you know, keep putting the pieces of, pieces of the puzzle together. It's coming. It's just, you know, working with like a thousand piece puzzle here. And we're getting, we're getting like one piece every couple months. So we'll get it together. It's just going to take some time. Um, our next uh, article is entitled, NASA's Mega Moon Rocket Test Resumes. Why so many details about it kept secret? In case you don't know what's going on with NASA right now, um, you know, they're working with, you know, they're working with uh, SpaceX, you know, to get to the moon and to uh, Mars. Well, one of the big things that NASA's doing is they're building what they're calling, um, they're, they're, Designing the space uh, the space launch system for Artemis, which is what's going to get the, the SpaceX lander to the moon. So the article starts out: uh, NASA's new Mega Moon rocket, uh, the space launch system, as also known as SLS, is getting one step closer to reaching the stars Wednesday, April sixth, by completing what's known as a wet dress rehearsal, in which the agency loaded the vehicle's tanks with cryogenic fuel and simulated countdown in preparation for liftoff. While NASA broadcasts live videos of the test on its website, many key details about the event were kept secret, ostensibly for reasons having to do with national security. But do most of these details really need to be top secret? But the agency's decision to be so clandestine and why not everybody is buying their stated rationalities. Uh, anticipation of lighting up its gigantic new vehicle launch system, which, when uh, capped by the Orion crew module, stands 322 feet tall, higher than the Statue of Liberty, NASA needs to test all of the SLS's various components. During the uncrewed wet dress rehearsal, the agency loads up the rocket's tanks with supercooled liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen which when combined produce a powerful thrust to send this vehicle into space. It uh, practices, practices various scenarios in preparation for liftoff. The test, runs, the test runs about two days long and emulates our launch countdown, said Charlie Blackwell Thompson during a press briefing on Tuesday, March 29th. Blackwell Thompson is the launch director of NASA's Artemis program, which aims to eventually land the first woman and first person of color on the moon. Engineers monitor temperatures and pressures in the tanks during the rehearsal, taking back the taking data the whole time that will help them once the rocket is ready for its debut flight. 
They also practice going through several different counters sequences onto or once once the T minus one minute and thirty seconds a second time second time down to thirty three seconds before launch and finally all the way down to T minus ten seconds before launch. These allow launch controllers to simulate various situations in which a launch may be may have to be canceled or scrubbed. Due to technical or weather-related issues, officials said during the March 29th briefing. Why are they keeping these facts so secret? When NASA shared certain milestones about the wet dress rehearsal on social media, the agency was prohibited from discussing every detail due to concerns over international traffic in arms regulations. Tom Whitmire, agency's associate administrator for Common Exploration Systems Development, told reporters during the press briefing. ITAR is a regulatory regime that restricts the sharing of information about weapons and technologies in ways that may be harmful to U.S. national security or foreign policy. We're really super sensitive to cryogenic launch vehicles and are the, the, that are the size, are this size and capabilities. They are very uh, uh, analogous to ballistic type capabilities and other countries are very interested in. So basically they're saying that, you know, they're keeping a lot of, a lot of the information secret because like, if someone like North Korea could get a hold of this, of this type of technology, they could basically put a nuclear warhead on it and they could strike anywhere in, you know, on this planet. Um, so you know, it just goes on to explain about, you know, like I just said, you know, you know, how they're afraid of um, other countries getting a hold of this technology that would use it for ill purposes. Um... So, you know, enough to keep us informed information, but not the whole picture. Um, so hopefully everything with, with this SLS goes, goes well, we can get back on the moon and, you know, eventually to Mars very shortly here in the next couple of years. So um, our next article, I always find this fascinating when, you know, you know, we think our medical science is so advanced and so far when we keep finding new parts in our body that we never even knew had, you know, was, it was there. Well, it happens again. This article is entitled new part of the body found hiding in the lungs, the newfound cells to maintain a healthy respiratory system. Scientists have discovered a brand new type of cell hiding inside the delicate branching uh, passageways of human lungs. The newfound cells play a vital role in keeping the respiratory system function functioning properly and could even inspire new treatments to reverse the effects of certain smoking-related diseases, according to a new study. The cells, known as respiratory airway secretory or RAS cells, found in tiny branching passageways known as bronchioles, which are tipped with LVLE, the Teensy air sacs that exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide with blood, the bloodstream. The new RAS cells are similar to stem cells, blank canvases cells that can differ, differentiate into any other type of cell in the body and are capable of repairing damaged alveolar cells and transforming into new ones. Researchers discovered the RAS cells after becoming increasingly frustrated by uh, limitations of relying on lungs of mice as models for human respiratory system. However, because certain differences between two scientists have struggled to fill some known 
some knowledge gaps about human lungs to get a better understanding of these differences on the cellular level. The team took lung tissue samples from healthy human donors and analyzed the genes within individual cells, which revealed the previously unknown RAS cells. It has been known for some time that the airways of the human lungs are different than that of a mouse. Uh, but emerging technologies have only recently allowed us to sample and identify unique cell types. So basically, it just—it's just—it's just basically you can basically you tell how these cells work. So basically, what they're saying is that you know when your when your when your alveoli's inside your lungs get damaged, you know these are like uh, it's like a defense. Like if you they get damaged, these are almost like stem cells that can basically go and repair or, or replace them. So. Just once again, it's amazing how you're always finding you know, you, you, you new parts and new functions of our, of our body. You know, even I mean, you know, ever since you know Leonardo uh, da Vinci started, you know, you know dissecting humans and studying the body, you know, for hundreds of years, you know, and we're still finding new things. It just shows you how how complex and amazing that our bodies actually are. You know, and that they can do what they can do. So, um, our last news article for this episode is astronomers just discovered the furthest away object. In the known universe, but what is it? A possible galaxy that exists some 13.5 billion light years from Earth has broken a record for the furthest astronomical object ever seen. That pl that age places the collection of stars, now dubbed HD1, between a time of total darkness about 14 billion years ago, the universe was a blank sterile, a blank slate devoid of any. Uh, and one of just burgundening lights as clumps of dust and gases were growing into the cosmic densities. The first galaxies formed about 100 million years after the Big Bang. They were a millionth the mass of the Milky Way and much denser. Study researcher and Harvard astrophysicist Avi Loeb told Live Science in an email, one way to think of them is uh, as the building blocks in the construction project of present-day galaxies like our own Milky Way. That's a tricky question to answer, but something so far away, said Fabio Pacucci, an astronomer at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, who likened it to guessing the nationality of a faraway ship from the flag it flies while standing a dense fog in the middle of a gale, he said in a statement. The researcher discovered HD1 in data collected over 1,200 hours of observation of time using the Subaru telescope, the VISTA telescope, or VISTA, the UK Infrared Telescope, and Spitzer Space Telescope. They were particularly looking at redshift, a phenomenon which uh, light waves reach, light waves stretch out or become redder as the object moves away from the observer. In this case, the redshift suggests HD1 was extremely distant. The researchers found that the red wavelengths were the equivalent to a galaxy located 13.5 billion light years away. HD1 also seems to be growing at a feverish rate, about 100 stars per year, or at least 10 times the rate predicted for a starburst galaxies that are known to produce stars at an extraordinarily high pace. These stars were also more massive, brighter in ultraviolet wavelengths, and hotter than younger stars, the researchers found. As such, HD1 could be home to the universe's very first stars, 
called Population 3 Stars. If the identity is verified, this would be the first observation of this type of star. The researcher said there's also the possibility that HD1 is a, is a supermassive black hole with a mass of about 100 million times of that of the sun. To figure out HD1's true identity, the researchers can look for X-rays which are admitted as material gets devoured by gravity of the black hole. If HD1 is a black hole, we should see X-ray emissions from it. If we don't, if we do not find X-rays, the emissions must originate from massive stars. Astronomers hope to find out more of these early universe structures with the James Webb Space Telescope, which was launched December 25, 2021, and will research for the, will search for the oldest objects in, in the universe. So, you know, it, you know, this is this just shows how how without the James Webb Telescope, which, which is going to open up amazing doors for us. That with technology that already existed, that we're 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 still you know finding these real distant you know uh, discoveries of stars and galaxies that you know even just two three years ago wouldn't be possible. It's just because of you know um, a combination of you know physical technology getting better plus our our computer software and computer computing computing power is getting so much better, so much stronger, so much more effective. So. Um, I just think as you know, time goes on, we're going to see more and more. And now with the James Webb being just about fully operational, uh, I I can't wait to see what images we start getting getting off of that. It's going to be incredible. So, so with that being said, um, let's get on to uh, our topic for the week, which once again is Edgar Mitchell. Edgar Mitchell was born in Hereford, Texas, on September seventeenth, nineteen thirty. He would live to be eighty-five. By the time he passed away on February 9th, 2016. In that period of time, he accomplished a number of tasks and achievements that would set him apart from the mo from, from most. He entered the uh, Navy after earning a BS in industrial management in 1952 from the Carnegie Institute of Technology. In 1961, he was awarded a BS in aeronautics by the U.S. Navy postgraduate uh, aeronautics by the Massachusetts by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in 1964 then in 1966 he joined the manned space program uh, during the infamous Apollo 13 disaster where an oxygen tank exploded damaging the spacecraft Mitchell worked in a lunar module simulator in Johnson Space Center to create a solution to help the Apollo 13 craft and its crew to return to Earth safely. His work helping to save Apollo 13 earned him a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Ironically enough, uh, he was a substitute for that for that mission, so he was almost on that mission himself. And then, and then you know, he ends up saving it, which is you know awesome. Kind of ironic, too. <clears throat> um, in 1971, during Apollo 14, he would get his chance to go to the moon along with astronauts Shepard and Rusa. During this mission, they set records for the most time spent on the moon's surface at 33 hours, as well as the longest dis distance traveled on the surface of the moon. They collected 94 pounds of rocks and soil samples. So up until this point, he became the sixth man to walk on the moon. Mitchell looks like a very upstanding guy living the American dream. Well, in 1972, he retired from the Navy, and his life took a totally different 
uh, path. His interest in parapsychology led him to create the Institute of Noetic of Nodic Sciences in 1973 in Palo Alto, Palo Alto, California. He would go on to write a book called The Way of the Explorer in 1966, which was about his experiences as an astronaut and a spiritual journey. Mitchell also claims that top military officials had hidden evidence of UFOs, potentially alien spacecrafts. These crafts would commonly be seen hovering over White Sands testing range in New Mexico. Mitchell said these UFOs were very interesting, very interested in our nuclear testing occurring at White Sands. Mitchell has told mul multiple sources that military personnel had confided in him that alien spacecraft were responsible for disarming nuclear missiles and for shooting them down over the Pacific coasts. He feels it's clear that an alien presence is attempting to keep us from going to nuclear war. Just two years after setting foot on the moon, he retired from the Navy, divorces his wife, founded his institute, and began talking about alien life visiting Earth and helping us along on a more spiritual path. So you would have to question what happened to going from, you know, this, you know, this accredited Navy pilot to being the sixth man to walk on the moon. Very, very honored person. Very, you know, so, I mean, he's, you know, he's very credible, very credible. So, you know, something had to have happened to, to, you know, change his life to, I mean, it, it, it just seems like he took, you know, he was going straight on this, on this, on this path for, on his, you know, on his path, you know, and it seems like after he, after he went on the moon, he took a hard right and just went totally, you know, took the hard right and just kind of just kept going. So what happened? Mitchell began to form his metaphysical and extraterrestrial beliefs during his training as an aviator, but at the time wasn't prone to making such wild statements. He was one of the U.S. military's skilled and brilliant pilots, one of their most skilled and brilliant pilots. If he was seen as a kook, he would have never have been. He would never have been selected for the Apollo mission. So you know, you know, just the fact that he was selected and for Apollo and actually went to the moon. You know, there's no way he was talking about aliens or you know anything like that before, because they would have never ever sent him to the moon. Because you know, you had to have you know a very strong mental fortitude to be able to you know. You know, for the journey to the moon and the stress. And so, in, uh, in a 2016 interview with Vice, he said while returning to Earth from the moon, he finally had a moment to take in the view. He said seeing the Earth from that perspective changed the way he saw himself and humanity. While being interviewed by George Knapp, Mitchell said the evidence for physical abilities in solid and sign is solid. In physical, psychic abilities, I'm sorry, let me read that again. I'm, while, in, while being interviewed by George Knapp, Mitchell said the evidence for uh, psychic abilities is solid and scientific. He said psychic abilities are commonly seen as satanic or divine, but in all reality it's supernatural. Science has said it doesn't exist, but in all reality it does exist and is natural. Mitchell also joined the board 
for Robert Bigelow's National Institute for Discovery, uh, Discovery Science in Las Vegas, which investigates UFOs. One would have to ask the question, what changed during the mission to the moon to lead Mitchell down a path of complete change? Uh, during or you know the last for you know, you know for the last the last years of his life, and you know what 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 made him change in, in just a few years. As we all know, Mitchell is not the first Apollo astronaut that has gone on to talk about aliens. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin both had tales of aliens on the moon. Perhaps there is an alien presence on the moon, and they are communicating with astronauts. Maybe that's why we haven't returned to the moon. Uh, UFOs are commonly seen near uh, military installations and have even reportedly shot down test missiles. Uh, you know, and he, you know, and he's done both. He's been on the moon. He's been, you know, at White Sands. We know of. So you know, I'm sure. You know, so I mean, I'm sure he's privy to information that the average person, even the average person in the military, wouldn't know. You know, it's, uh, it seemed like in his life, like he was trying to tell us something, but he didn't, he didn't want to come out and tell us a hundred percent. Like, Hey, this is, this is, you know, what I know, or it just, it, it just feels like he had more to tell us before he passed away. And, you know, maybe, maybe he did pass on to somebody and it hasn't come to light yet. Maybe it's written in a journal somewhere. Hopefully if there's more information to this to this story, you know, it eventually comes out because I just feel like there's so much more to, you know, to what Edgar Mitchell had to say, and he just didn't get a chance to say everything. So, uh, let me know what you think, you know, go on a Facebook page, you know, do you think that, you know, these Apollo astronauts such as Edgar Mitchell, such as Buzz Aldrin, such as Neil Armstrong, do you think they, they, you know, seen something? Do you think maybe there's more or do you think there's some kind of alien presence on the moon? Do you think that, you know, or that, that there's aliens at some of these bases, like, like White Sands, you know, and we're in communication with them, you know, and they're giving us, giving us technologies for exchange for God only knows what. Let me know what you think. So before we close out the show, uh, let's look at uh, the question of the week from last week. Last week, our question revolved around um, electric cars. And the question is, do you feel that electric cars are better for the environment, the same impact as gasoline cars, or actually worse? Um, personally, I feel, I mean, look, I love, the, I love the initiative that the companies are taking, trying to save the environment, trying to, you know, stop using fossil fuels. I think one day electric cars will be the answer. The problem right now is... All right, let's let's look at building an electric car. Um, no matter if it's electric or if it's um, gasoline. Immense amount of energy to produce, just like the, the, the other bodies for these for these vehicles, and you know, so I mean, you know, a incredible amount of energy has to be made, all right, to mine the plat, to well, to mine all the metals for in these vehicles. And then you still have to use oil for the plastics and you still have to use fossil fuels to transport all those materials and to mine or to pump the oil out of the ground and uh, to make the, make the, the, the tires and everything. 
Um, and then, you know, one thing about electric cars that people often overlook is a lot of these batteries are lithium. Lithium is extremely, extremely hazardous in the environment. And uh, we're talking a lot of lithium. So, you know, that's not good for the environment alone either. So already when you look at just building these vehicles, you know, I hate to say it, but gasoline cars really look better on the assembly part of the, of, the, of the equation. Now you look at fuel in these cars. Here's where I think electric cars will eventually pull ahead. Right now they're not there. One day I think they will be. And that is, if you look at how electric car, or how you'd power vehicles right now. All right, you power an electric, or you power a regular gasoline car. Where do you know all the all the, all the or all the CO two emissions to you know to create the gasoline for the car, then to transport the gasoline, and to you know the actual emissions coming out of the vehicle and stuff. Now you think, all right, electric. I just plug it in. I just plug it into my wall, and I'm good. But let's follow, let's follow that that power back to where it's coming from. It's coming from a power plant. Now, some where I live here in eastern Pennsylvania, we have a mix of uh, nuclear and coal power plants. I actually, have a nuclear and a coal plant. I actually, have two nuclear plants and uh, a coal fire plant, all within 50 miles of my house. I believe there's a natural gas fire plant not that far either. So you're still relying on fossil fuels. And, you know, so like I said, so assembling the car, you're about even. Fueling a car, you're really about the same because you're either going to be putting up fossil fuels through generating the power at the power plants or you're going to be, or it's going to be coming directly out of your car. Now you might argue... You know, those fossil fuels are already being created at the power plants. You know, which is true, but you gotta remember something. Another fact is um our power grids are not they are not designed to handle the amount of power that they're trying to put through them. Or that they they're they're well, they're already inadequate as it is. Now you start putting all these car chargers on that power grid, our power grid is gonna collapse so quick it's ridiculous. Um so I think that electric cars are the way to go, and it is good that we're getting ready for it. But to make this totally work, the power grid's going to become more efficient, and we've got to stop relying on coal-fired um, on coal-fired plants. We need to start investing more in solar technologies. Um, wind technologies, they're finding out, is actually not as good as they thought it was because, sure, it produces power. But it's it, but it's interfering with migra migratory uh, animals and like and like monarch butterflies and stuff, you know, because it's it's you're creating different wind currents and it's actually changing weather patterns and it's it's actually you know affecting the environment in multiple ways. So wind technology isn't as good as we really thought it was. I mean, it's still very effective, but it's it's doing more harm to the environment than we thought it was. Plus, to produce these wind turbines, it's it, it's a huge uh, carbon footprint. So I, you know, I think we need to invest in more in solar. Um, maybe try harnessing waves more than we are. You know, you know try the power of you know, the waves and the tides. Um, I know it's a dirty word, but I think we need to rely a little bit more on nuclear. I mean, we need to we need to figure out 
a way to dispose of our nuclear waste at the same time. Eventually, I think when 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 cold fusion comes out, which is what uh, I can't remember if it was China or Japan who's working on a reactor right now, where it's gonna make nuclear power just like our sun does, and instead of giving off radiation, it gives off I want to say hydrogen if that's not if that's correct. But basically, it's it's not radio. It doesn't give off a radioactive, you know, anything. So it's 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 a lot safer for everything. So once they master that, but we're still years away from mastering that at a at a, a big, you know, uh, on a usable level. So for right now, I mean, I guess you know, you know, if you want to, you know, go electric, it makes you feel a little bit better. But really, you're not doing doing the, you know, the environment any justice right now. The best thing you can do is take whatever vehicle you have and make it as fuel efficient as you can, you know. Uh, simple things. Make sure your tires are properly inflated. Um, if there's anything in your car that you don't need to be in there, whether it be, you know, cleaning stuff for like when you wash your car, whether it be, you know, maybe, you know, you were building a, you're building your kid's sandbox and you still have a bag of sand left back there, 50 pounds. And 50 pounds will change your gas mileage, you know, get that bag of sand out of there. You know, say you got a bunch of toys back there. You got, you know, you know, you got a bunch of old, you know, books back there. If you don't need it in your car, in the trunk, wherever, get anything out that you don't need, any extra weight. Make sure your tires are properly inflated. Have your car properly maintained, you know, proper oil changes. Change your air filter regularly. That's a big one. People don't realize that just by changing that air filter, you can get an extra mile or two out of your, out of your, out of your gas by changing your air filter. And your car runs better. So, you know, there's there's small things that you can do that don't cost very much. I mean, you know, an air filter is 10, 15 bucks. That's it. Uh, keeping your car inflated. There's still a lot of gas stations that have free free air pumps or you've got to spend a buck, whatever. You know, you know uh, keep, your, keep your tires inflated. Keep your air filter changed. You know, keep your oil changed. Things you should be doing anyways. Just small little things that everybody can do, and you know, you know. I mean, figure if I'm getting an extra two miles a gallon, you know, it's gonna add up over time. So, uh, that being said, let's look at um, the question of the week for next week. We've been uh, seeing lately here the last couple months, ever since uh, it was mentioned that you know, a tip keeps coming out with all these videos and documents and so uh i guess this 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 is a two-parter i guess this question part number one is um do you think that a tip's done putting out more information or do you think they got more to come and the second part of this is if you think that they have more information to come that's going to be released um do you think they're going to what do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be more more UFO videos? Do you think it's going to be documentation? Um, do you think it's going to be that extraterrestrial life exists and that we know about it? Um, I don't know about that one, but who knows? You know, maybe maybe that's what it is. You know, so you know, do you think ATIP's going to release any, any more information? Well, ATIP and the Pentagon, and also, do you think that there's going to be more? Or if they do, what do you think it's, it's going to be? It's going to be videos of more more video of UFOs, more uh, you know, 
more reports that, that they documented is going to be about extraterrestrial life. What do you think it's going to be? Uh, you know, you can hit us up on the Facebook page. Um, you can uh, hit us on email. Um, we should, by next week, should have a, uh, a text line where you can actually just, just text us and let us know. Also, uh, keep your keep your eyes peeled. Um, our Facebook or our Facebook page is going to be changing. We're going to be going actually to a um, we're actually going to be opening up a new Facebook page uh, just to make things easier because uh, here at STS Studios we're we have a number of podcasts now that are coming out of this you know, out of our studios here. So um, we're trying to you know basically everything's going to be unified. So we're going to have a new uh, a new Facebook page. We're going to have um, an all-new YouTube page. So, um, you know, the email is not going to change. So you can definitely always, always, always get us there. Um, as always, our email is um, moampodcast21 at gmail.com. That'll be in the description to this, to this, uh, uh, to link to our email to our Facebook. That'll all be in the, in, in the link here. Uh for this uh, track. So uh, with that being said, uh, I want to thank you guys for, for tuning in again this week and uh, uh, hope to see you guys next week. Stay safe.